Well, if you know anything about the fictional genre of zombie apocalypse stuff, you know that was the wrong answer. Those people, that father and that son, didn't make it because the people who stay put during the zombie apocalypse, everyone knows this, they're the ones that get eaten first. I mean, that's just the way it is. Isn't that a good way to start Sunday morning, huh? You know, zombies eating people. But here's the reality. Movement is life in that genre, in those places. And when I watch movies of any kind, read books of any kind, I, I try and see the metaphor relationships to real life. Zombie apocalypse is fictional. Come on. I know some of you are all prepared for it, but it's a fictional deal. But there are great and powerful applications to our spiritual lives, and this is one of them. In our spiritual lives, movement is life. I mean, this is a... A powerful point that most people don't get because even the way we've designed the whole spiritual experience for most of us is that we sit and we remain passive and idle. But that's not how we stay healthy. The truth that I want you to see this weekend is that staying healthy spiritually, truly living and experiencing a, a dynamic, life-transforming relationship with God demands movement, constant movement. And I just want God's word to speak to you in regards to this. I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And there's a ton of stuff we could talk about in that passage. But all I want you to see is this truth. Staying healthy spiritually demands constant movement. God says this, for this very reason, make every effort. That's strong language. Make every effort, do everything in your power to add to your faith goodness. It's not, it's not enough just to have faith, to come to faith. You, you've got to add to your faith, goodness. You've got to have movement. Then it says, and by the way, make every effort to add to your goodness, knowledge. Make every effort to add to your knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. And, and make every effort you can then to keep moving, to add to your perseverance, godliness, and, and to add to your godliness, brotherly kindness, and and make every effort to add to your brotherly kindness, love. <laughs> I mean, the, the Christian life is not an idle life. It is not a passive life. If we're going to experience the power of God in our lives, if we're going to experience the promises of God in our lives, if we are going to survive in this dark world spiritually, we have to keep moving. It's about constant movement. And then Peter goes on. God inspires him to say, for if you possess these qualities, remember the qualities are all those things that we're supposed to be adding to our faith. If you possess these qualities, but get this, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people were going through that go, oh yeah, I've got faith. Oh yeah, I've got goodness. Oh yeah, I've got knowledge. Oh, oh yeah, I've got self-control. <laughs> your spouse goes, sure you do. And oh yes, I have brotherly kindness. Oh, oh yes, I have love. I've got those things. But the Bible doesn't say then you stop moving. It then says you have to possess these things in ever increasing amounts. So add to the faith you already have more faith. Add to the goodness you already have more goodness. What's this movement? And then what happens when you have a double dose? Add to that again. Add to that again. And what he's saying is if you, if you literally want to experience the full impact and the full productivity of Jesus in your life, 
You have to constantly be moving in these areas. But then look what it says. But if anyone does not have these things in ever-increasing measure, they are nearsighted, they are blind, they have forgotten that they have been cleansed from their past sins. In other words, you can have Jesus and not experience the impact of Jesus because you're not moving If you're going to stay healthy spiritually, if you're going to experience the dynamic impact of God in your life, it's not enough to have touched the hem of the garment one time. You have to be constantly moving with him, walking with him. Here's the application I want you to get. If we're going to spiritually survive in this world, since we're talking about our spiritual lives in the metaphor and the context of a zombie apocalypse, if we're going to spiritually survive, if we're going to keep from becoming the walking dead, unproductive, wasteful human flesh, then we have to do everything we can to keep moving forward. Make every effort. Do what's in our power to move forward. There are a lot of things that aren't in your power. I've just got to tell you. I mean, there's going to be betrayal come your way, and you can't control that. There are going to be unbelievable storms and times of trouble that come into your life, and you can't control those. You're going to face challenges that are seemingly insurmountable in your life and can be discouraging when you see how high that mountain is and how steep the climb is. I mean, you can't control that, but you know what you can control? You can control whether or not you're making every effort to keep moving forward. Centimeter by centimeter or millimeter by millimeter or inch by inch or or yard by yard, you can make the choice to keep moving forward. And that's the choice that allows you to survive. Too many people in the name of Jesus are like that guy and his son sitting around the kitchen table saying, you know, we'll, we'll be glad to help other people, but we're going to stay put here. We're going to live life on the defense. We're going to be static. You're going to die. We have to move forward. Look at how God says it again. He uses Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. What's the metaphor God uses here? Running. I mean, following Jesus is not sitting on your tush. It is running. It's moving. It's not static. It's active. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. By the way, I'm still lost back there on that tush comment. Are you there with me? And it's like, tush, touche. All right, Hebrews 12.1, he speaks French. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I mean, let's get rid of everything that weights us down and trips us up and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I mean, you have to understand Staying healthy spiritually, surviving spiritually, experiencing God in fullness, it's, it requires constant movement. It's, it's running. And, and the Bible doesn't say run the race marked out for us. It doesn't say that. Did, did you read the verse with me? It says run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us. In other words, it's not enough to start running. It's not enough to run for a little while. And that's what many of us do. I've been a pastor for a long time, and I'm going to tell you, a ton of people have started running. A ton of people have run for a while. But the vast majority ultimately get tired, sit down, and remain static. And that's when they die. I mean, they're still breathing, but they're not experiencing God. And I imagine that I'm talking to some people there right now. It's not enough to have run once. 
We must run with perseverance. We must stay on the move. We have to keep moving. And so, since this is a challenge I've faced in my life, I, I, I'd rather sit on the spiritual couch doing nothing. I'd rather sit around listening to other people talk and, and reading what God has to say and not be active and not move. But every time I've surrendered to that, I have experienced great discouragement in my life, failure in my life. I've messed up. The only way I've ever been able to maintain any kind of constant impact spiritually where I'm truly experiencing God in my life and I'm, I'm truly experiencing him working through me has been by making the choice to keep moving. And so what, what, this is a very personal talk for me because being idle has affected me greatly in my spiritual life at times. And it's my preferred position. And because it's affected me so much, I... I've learned that I've got to keep moving even when I don't feel like it. And I've been a pastor for three decades, and I'm going to tell you, I've watched, and this is no exaggeration, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who had the power of Jesus available to them and the victory of God's promise available to them fail because they decided not to keep moving. And this is personal to me. And so I want to challenge you to keep moving spiritually, to keep moving even if it's just a, a millimeter to keep moving. Now, I've had to incorporate some things into my life, some biblical principles into my life to, to overcome my natural desire to be idle and to keep moving spiritually. And I, I'm going to just share them with you. And so if this topic is at all relevant to you, I'm hoping that this conversation will be helpful. I'm sharing out of my own experiences and failures so that you might benefit and avoid some of them. I, I, here's what I found. If I'm going to do everything in my power to stay on the move so that I can survive and thrive spiritually, I found that it starts with a commitment. Here's what has to happen. If we're going to be constantly moving, which is not our natural want, we have to commit ourselves to continually moving forward in our spiritual lives. We have to make the commitment, I'm going to keep moving. No matter what happens, I mean, if, a, if I'm in a valley, if I'm on a mountaintop, if I'm in a storm, I'm going to keep moving no matter what because movement is life. Uh, Longfellow was asked the secret of his continued zeal for life and, and he pointed to an apple tree and he said the purpose of that apple tree is to grow a little new wood each year. That's all it has to do to stay alive, grow a little new wood each year. And he said then, that's what I plan to do. Now... Longfellow was a poet, so he couldn't stop with just an explanation like that. He actually put it into poetic terms, and he said these words, listen. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end always, but to live that each tomorrow finds us further than today. What did he understand? Movement is life. And I'm telling you, most people in their spiritual lives are idle, passive, waiting for God to show up, and speak, waiting for some great spiritual event to transpire so that then they can start going forward. Wrong. Movement is life. If we're going to spiritually survive in this world, truly live, then we can't ever get satisfied with where we are because God says make every effort to keep adding, to keep moving, to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. You can't be satisfied. And I, it's 
I long with every ounce of my being to be able to sit down and say, done. And there's going to be a day when I don't sit down, but I lie down and I'm done. But I won't be breathing and I'll be in a very cushy, lined box. Speaking of the zombie apocalypse. And so will you. But until that moment, you have to keep moving. Because movement is life. This is how Jesus did it. He committed himself to constant growth and constant movement. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 52. And, and Jesus kept increasing. Kept increasing. He made every effort to keep moving. He kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men in every angle of life. And, and then Paul gives us this command. Look at, it's an imperative in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, and we receive Jesus by faith, I know some of you are still on the journey to taking that, that step of, uh, of faith in Christ, but we receive Jesus by faith. But he says, you don't just receive him by faith, you continue to live in him by faith. And you don't just continue to live in him by faith, you have to keep moving. You have to grow deeper and deeper roots in your faith, and you have to, you have to build up a bigger and bigger life of faith, and you have to continue to strengthen your faith as you were taught. And then, when you're constantly moving, you'll be overflowing with thankfulness. And you know what I find about me? More often than not, I'm not overflowing with thankfulness. You know why? Because I'm not moving. More often than not, the people I know aren't overflowing with thankfulness. Even though God is there pouring enough to fill your cup to overflowing, you don't experience it because you're not moving. We have to keep moving. We have to make a commitment that we're going to keep moving. Now, in my life, I've found that making a commitment isn't enough. I don't know if you found this or not, but have you, have you, a lot of people make the commitment to marriage, but not a lot of people make it to the end necessarily. And I'm, this isn't a judgment. It's just kind of an observation. Just because you stand there and say, in sickness and health, for rich or for poor, yada, 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 I do. And by the way, if anyone said that, that's the coolest wedding ever. But a lot of people stand on the platform and they, they, they make a commitment, but it, 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 they don't make it to the end. Why? Because Making a commitment is a wonderful starting place, but it's not a finishing place. If we're going to ultimately achieve the keeping of our commitment, we have to go further than the commitment itself. And I'm the same way spiritually. Uh, just because I've said, you know, I want to keep moving spiritually. I want to be like Jesus in the end. Just because I've made that commitment doesn't mean I'm going to get there unless, this is what I have found, I establish goals that keep me moving towards the fulfillment of the commitment. I mean, there's all kinds of things to do in this world. There's a sea of opportunities, and I, I'm one of these people that, you know, I'm easily distracted because, I mean, my mind's always moving, so I can be talking to you here, and then I can go, oh, look, a bird, you know, that kind of a thing. It's like you, you, you can easily get distracted. And the only way I keep my commitment of, of moving forward in my relationship with God is by setting before me goals in the right direction that I'm moving towards. And you know what I found? A lot of you have goals physically. Some of you have unbelievable guns. I'll buy tickets to your gun show. That's awesome. Boom, boom, boom. You know what I mean? And the only way you get there is because you've set physical goals. Some of you have great goals vocationally because money's important to you and success is important to you. But you know what I have found? Very few people have spiritual goals. 
And if you don't have a spiritual goal, no matter what your commitment is, it means you're not going to keep moving forward because a goal's required. And I know that sounds so secular to some of you, but it's unbelievably spiritual. Look at, look at the Bible. Look at Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press on toward, remember this is the Bible, this isn't me. I press on toward the, what's that word? That's in the Bible. I press on toward the goal. I've I've established a goal. It's something I'm moving towards. And here's my goal. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to become the man he's called me to become. And Paul tells us what that is. To conform to the image of Jesus. To to tell the world about Jesus. The good news of Jesus to the world, etc. But I press on. I've, I've established a goal that keeps me moving towards my commitment. It keeps me moving And so let me give you the definition that helps me here. Goals are simply predetermined steps of faith. Goals are not secular things. Goals are spiritual things when they're the right goals. Because goals are predetermined steps of faith. Paul's saying, I'm putting out there this goal of completing what he's given me to do, to being like Jesus, to fulfilling his plans in my life. And he's got these goals, and, and it keeps him moving in the right direction, but it's by faith because he hasn't yet achieved it. I mean, goals are predetermined steps of faith. It's very spiritual. Look what God says about faith. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you are not setting predetermined steps of faith that you're moving towards, you're not pleasing God. You're not moving. Matthew nine twenty nine. According to your faith, will it be done to you? No wonder many of us aren't experiencing God's great work in our lives. It's because our faith has become passive. I challenge you to begin setting goals that will help move you in the direction of what you've committed to, if you're a believer, if you've made this commitment, to being like Jesus, to moving forward spiritually, not to becoming idle, no matter how hard it gets, because goals are like stepping stones that we purposely place that, that help us keep moving forward in the vast sea of opportunities we're given. Goals keep me from drowning in all the good opportunities that present themselves because there's a lot of good stuff to do, but I don't want to do a lot of good stuff. Do you know what I want to do? I want to do the best stuff. And that demands goals. Goals not only keep us moving forward, but they keep us going forward in the right direction. And so I, I thought I'd just share for those of you who find this relevant that, that there are ways that you can establish the right goals in your life to survive and live spiritually. I found the first thing I have to do if I'm going to set the right goals, because I'm good at setting bad goals. I'm good at setting selfish goals. I'm good at setting goals that are really good for me, but don't necessarily make me look more like Jesus. So when I'm, when I'm setting goals in my spiritual life, in any part of my life, I have to ask God for wisdom, first thing. God, I need your wisdom, because I, I you know, I... I could think I'm going forward, but I'm going sideways, and so I need your wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Can you imagine this? God, who owns all wisdom, who sees all things, has said, all you've got to do is ask, and I'll give you wisdom so that you can start living your life in the right kind of movement. And then... Then, as I'm setting these goals, asking God for wisdom, because sometimes I feel like 
I have his wisdom, but what I really have is a hangover from Mexican food. What I have to do is I have to, I have to check on, on whether it's from God or not. And so I, I ask some qualifying questions as I'm setting up goals. The one question I ask is, will this advance my God-given purpose and potential? Does this just advance Brad Powell and his, his image and his success and his wants, or does this advance my God-given purpose and potential, what God wants for me? Look at 2 Corinthians 10.13. Our goal is to stay within the boundaries of God's plans for us. And I, I'm going to tell you, very often... I desire to move outside of God's plan. And so I have to say, am, is, I'm setting a goal. Uh, is this to advance my God-given purpose? I'd be, I'll just give you a weird example. It, it, we're a very large church. Imagine this, me saying, you know what my goal is now? I mean, we've been written up in magazines now. And we've been on Listen. We've been all that. You know what my goal is? I want to be the first church in America to have 100,000 in attendance. Okay, now... Would it be good to reach 100,000 people, you know, weekly in the name of Jesus? Absolutely. But quite frankly, if I made it the goal for Northridge to have 100,000 people in weekly, I, that's my goal. What do you think my goal's about? I'm the man. I mean, what pastor's ever done that? And it's about me. My goal should be more like, I, I want to introduce as many people as possible to the power of Jesus and watch their life be transformed. Now, that's a goal that could advance my purpose. But some quantifying, you know, deal. Here's the problem. If we do the, the good goal, we might have 100,000 people here, so enjoy the traffic. Uh, that's just, just a kind of a thought. But, but the goal has to be right. The goal has to be right. Will it advance my God-given purpose? I, another uh, thing I have to ask is, does this play most to the short term or the long term? I, is this something kind of aimed at making me comfortable, or is this something that's going to bring God pleasure? And this is important because Mark 8, 36 says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? If I give my life to become a great success in your eyes but it doesn't make me a success in his eyes. I've just wasted my whole life. And can I just tell you the truth? Most of us are wasting our whole lives because we're building our image pretty well among each other. But God isn't all that impressed. We have to keep moving forward. I, I have to ask this question. Is, is this the best thing I could do? I'm, I, if you're like me, I... I, I I like to set goals that are pretty easy to achieve. Are you like this at all? Are you, are you guys like more like Jesus than I am naturally or something? Because you're sitting here going, oh, you're bad. You're bad. You're asleep. Uh, that's just, you know, a little banter. I have to ask, is this the best thing I could do? Because there are a lot of good things I can do. But there are only a few best things I could do. And so when I'm setting these spiritual goals, and that's what Paul did. And he said, I press toward the, the, the goal of the, of the prize of the high calling of God. I mean, that's the best thing. It's all about Jesus for me, he was saying. And so I have to do that too. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.23. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. I mean, everything's permissible. There's a lot of good stuff you can do in this world, but not everything's constructive. But, uh, when was the last time 
in your life spiritually, you started saying, you know what? Are these the best things I could do? I don't think most people are asking those questions. I think most people are just getting up in the morning and man, if they, if they even think the name Jesus, they feel like God should be impressed. And no wonder we're not experiencing him. No wonder we're asleep in the light. No wonder we're the walking dead. No wonder we're living in a zombie apocalypse, spiritually speaking. It's because we're, we're not even making choices to do the best things. And then I have to ask, will it ultimately please God? Do I honestly believe that God is leading me to do this? Will this please God? Look at 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so, so I have to ask myself when I'm setting goals spiritually, will this please God? And here's how I, here's how I approach this one. When I stand before Jesus, will he say, that was awesome? Or when I stand before Jesus, will he say, who are you trying to kid? See, I can impress people. I, I, it's the hardest person in the world to impress is my wife. I've been married to her 36 years. She lives with me. We pillow our heads together, for gosh sake, right? And, and she's pretty hard to impress. But I'm going to tell you, I can impress her. I can manufacture things and image things and do things that can impress her, even if they're not real in here. But, but God cannot be fooled. Can I ask you a question this last week? Did you do in your life spiritually all the best things you could do? And were the things you strove for this last week things that Jesus is going to go, that was awesome? I want to bet that for the majority of us, we can't answer those questions well, and that explains why we're not experiencing God in his fullness. We like to blame him. We like to wonder where he's gone, but it's not his fault, and he hasn't gone anywhere. We've stopped moving, and when you aren't moving, you can't experience him. We need to make the commitment to keep moving, and then we need to establish the right kind of goals that move us forward. But I have found that I can have commitment and goals and still not do it. It's crazy. So I have to break it down even more. You're, you're getting an idea of how messed up I am here, right? It's like I, I can have a commitment and goals and still not be moving. And in hopes that two or three of you are as messed up as I am, I want to share with you how I've overcome this problem. Once I've got the commitment, and the goals, I have to break it down even further. Then I have to establish specific plans that will help me achieve the goal. Like strategies. I have to go, okay, this is my goal. How am I going to do that? Because it doesn't come naturally for me. It's not normal for me. And so what am I going to do? I establish plans. And this is very biblical. Look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 22. Do not those who plot evil go astray. By the way, plot is plan. Don't those who plan to do evil successfully accomplish it? Yeah, they accomplish evil because they planned it. But then look at the second part. But those who plan what is good, what do they do? They accomplish it. They find, they find love and faithfulness. The, the point is, 
you're planning something, and by not planning anything, you're planning failure. And this is why most people fail spiritually, because they don't plan anything. It's, it's a marvel to me that people will spend a year planning their vacation, but not a second planning their spiritual lives. Almost every Christian I know spends more time planning their vacations than they do how they're going to become like Jesus, which is why the vacation is semi-successful, but their life is falling apart. Isn't it about time we value becoming like Jesus more than we value going to Hawaii? Let me think about that thought just for a second. I think that's still true. We should be planning it. When was the last time you planned anything about your life becoming more like Jesus? This is huge. Planning is the key to overcoming the curse of busyness. Remember, simply being busy has nothing to do with fulfilling God's purposes for our lives. Another weird statement, as one man said, you can be so busy swatting mosquitoes that you forget to drain the swamp. Isn't that like, that should have been on Buck Dynasty or something, right? I mean... But you get the point, right? Swatting mosquitoes isn't going to solve any problem, but draining the swamp will get rid of the mosquitoes. Most of us are just swatting the junk in our lives, and we're not planning to solve the problems. And so if you want to start planning, you know, moving forward in your spiritual life, because movement is life, then I found some some keys to that that unlock it for me because planning doesn't come naturally. And so what I have to do is I have to seek God in my planning. I have to seek God because, you know, a lot of my planning can be really, really messed up. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Do you know? This is amazing. God already has the plans to get you where you need to be. God's already got the plans. This, is, this woke me up. Because I realized, wait a minute, I'm doing all this time, spending all this time struggling to come up with a plan, and God's already got one. And his plan's going to be better than mine. Do you agree with that? His plan is going to be better than mine. So maybe I should spend my time less planning myself and more seeking his plan. And you know what I found? Most people I know have never asked to see his plan. We're too busy asking him to empower our plan. God, I've got this thing going on. And if you'd show up, it could be really cool. But you have to add some words you don't add. It would be really cool for me. But what we need to do is we need to say, God, I know you want me to become more like Jesus. You want me to keep moving forward for him, and that's my commitment. And I, I know that these goals that I'm setting out there will help me move more towards Jesus. And, and I know you have plans already for me to help me move in that direction. And I'm just wondering if maybe you could show me your plans. Seek God in your planning. Seek him. And then I have to seek wise counsel in my planning. I have to get 
other people speaking into my plan because I have been known, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I have been known to make great plans and convince myself they're really spiritual plans, but anyone looking objectively at them will say, that's got nothing to do with Jesus. My wife's really good at telling me the truth about this stuff. I mean, and I, I can convince people of a lot of stuff. I, I really can. But she can see through that junk. And she goes, that's got nothing to do with Jesus. And I'll yell and scream and holler and whine and go get in a fetal position in the corner and go, <laughs> you don't love me. And then I'll come back and say, you're right. Because she is. Proverbs 15:22: plans fail for lack of counsel, but many, with many advisors, they succeed. We need to get other people speaking into our life. You know, most of us never ask anyone to evaluate what we're thinking, what we're doing, because we don't want their answer. Which means we would rather fail our way than succeed with wisdom. How dumb is that? Just before I move on, I have to tell you, I'm still thinking about the image of me in the corner in the fetal position sucking my thumb. I'm just... Weird word picture. Next one, if, if I'm going to really plan well, I have to seek balance in my planning. I have to seek balance in my planning. Because I, I can obsess on one thing and neglect a bunch of other things that are necessary. And you know what happens when, you're, when you focus on one thing but you neglect everything else? You become a failure. I'll give you an example of this. What do you call a person who is unbelievably successful professionally but loses their family, their health, and their integrity in the process? What do you call that person? A failure. And, and this is how we go about living our lives. We, we obsess on one area of our life, but we don't balance it out. And so... We need to seek balance in our plan. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm obsessive this way. I, someone told me it was important to read the Bible. And, and, and it is, by the way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Reading the Bible is really important. But it's not the only thing that's important. You know, living it out, kind of important. Serving others, kind of important. You know, taking care of your family, kind of important. And when, when I heard that reading the Bible is important, I'm a newer believer, I'm going, wow, that's great. And then I heard someone say, you should read the Bible through every year. And I went, whew, I'm into that. I won't even ask how many of you have ever read through the Bible, uh, because that'd be a discouraging moment. But, but I, I started reading through the Bible in a year. And then, because I'm obsessive, I, I go, you know, if reading through the Bible one time in a year is good, imagine how awesome reading through the Bible two times in a year is. And so I started doing that. And here's the thing. You can start reading the Bible so much that you don't have time to hear from God. I didn't have time for God to speak to me because I had too many chapters to read to stay on schedule. And by the way, I didn't have time to serve others and to love others and to be relationally invested in the people I need to be invested in as much as I should because I had a goal to read... The Bible two times. I had to start seeking balance in my life. And you have to do the same thing. So 
Look at Jesus, how he did it. Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. See, he, he had a balance. There was a wisdom issue, a statue, physical stuff going on, and then his spiritual stuff going on, and his spiritual relationship with other human beings going on. I mean, he was balanced. So we should, we should include things for ourselves. We should have time for rest and recreation and those kind of things. We, we should include times for church because God says don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We should include time for family and, and for our vocation and for others, but we should be balanced in this thing. And so seek balance. And, and here's what I found. I think many of you will relate to this. I found that when I make the commitment and then I set goals and then I establish plans, I can still not achieve any of it. Because all of that's still a little bit abstract. You know when I start successfully doing all this stuff? When it's in my everyday schedule. And so I've learned that what I have to do if I'm going to be successful spiritually is I have to make the commitment, set the goals, establish some plans, and then I have to establish a schedule on a daily basis that ensures these are the things I'm doing. This doesn't sound very spiritual, right? But this is the only way to be spiritual. To bring it into your everyday life. Most of us did very little spiritually this week because we have not scheduled spiritual activity. Do you know what the average attendance at Northridge Church is? One time every three weeks. That's the average attendance of people who are committed to Northridge. Once every three weeks. Why? Because they come when they get the feeling to come which usually takes two weeks after they heard one of my talks, you know, that kind of deal. If it's going to happen, you've got to schedule it. You know, I, I feel bad for kids because they show up at church, they get to know a kid, they're not here for another couple of weeks, and then they know no one. I mean, there's no consistency. So we have to get it scheduled into our life, every aspect of our spiritual lives. Jesus did, by the way. Jesus had a schedule, and he shared it with us. We've seen into Jesus' daytime or Franklin Planner, into his, you know, iPhone calendar. Look at Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. This was, this was the prophet Isaiah, but speaking from the viewpoint of Messiah, who Jesus was. And the Messiah says, Sovereign Lord, the Sovereign Lord wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. What's he saying? The Father, here's my schedule. Every morning God wakes me up and we spend time together. It's the only way I can survive. And, and then look what he did in Mark 1.35. After a really busy day, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Why would Jesus, after a really, really busy day, really, really, really late night, still get up very early in the morning and spend time with God? Because he scheduled it. And you want to know how crazy Jesus was about scheduling? I mean, he, I think he was a scheduling freak. I really do. Because he scheduled it 700 years before he came. I guess when you're Messiah, you just, you have a lot of time on your hands for scheduling. 700 years before he walked this planet, he had already set his schedule to include getting with God first thing every day of his life, no matter what. Why? Because movement is life. And he was the only one who ever truly lived. And 
we don't spend time with God like this. Almost anything gets in our way if we even have time with God at any point in our lives. Why? Because we haven't scheduled it. Isn't it sad? We schedule work because we value money, but we don't schedule time with God because we, what? Don't value it, really. Oh, we sing about valuing it, and we talk about valuing it, and we image valuing it, but if we really valued it, what would we do? We would schedule it. And I'm just telling you, if you want to live in this world, you've got to schedule it. But, but then, one last thing I found. I, I, can, I can make the commitment, I can make the goal, goals, I can establish the plans, I can set the schedule, and, and yet it can still be really, really messed up. Because you know what happens for me? I don't know if this happens for you, but with me, the, the goals and the plans and the schedule can start becoming more important to me than God himself. I mean, I can get in the place where, as I already said, when I'm reading the Bible, I just don't have time to hear from God or listen to God because I've got too much to read. And so what's happened? The schedule and the goal and the plan has become more important than Jesus himself. And so what I have to do is, with all of this stuff I've talked about, I have to, I have to submit then, on a daily basis, my, my goals, my plans, my schedule to Jesus. And you know how, how Jesus taught us to do it, right? Matthew 6, verses 9 through 10. This then is how you should pray on a daily basis. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even though I have goals and plans and schedule, every day I have to say, God, this is what I have planned for you. This is what I'm going to be doing today. But your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. And if you want to change it all up, change it all up. Because see, what happens is, Life is filled with left turns and right turns and downturns and upturns and surprise and storm. And God wants to use all those events of life to help us to become more like Jesus. But know this, life is going to interrupt your plans and your schedule. And it could make you mad at God. It could get you pulling away from God when it's supposed to pull you closer to him. And so you have to say, God even though this is how I want to structure my day for you. Make my day what you want it to be. And when we do that, we start walking with him and growing with him. And so I want to, we're going to end with worship this weekend, but, but before we do, I just thought I'd give you a couple of action steps, a couple of things that maybe you could do in your life. Here, here's, here's the first. You, you need to make sure you're alive spiritually. Be, because... For a zombie to have goals and plans and a schedule, and it's kind of, put yourself in the zombie genre, that'd be weird. A zombie with a schedule. Time to eat a leg. You know, I don't know what they'd do, but it wouldn't be very meaningful. They'd still be a zombie. Some of us have all kinds of spiritual activity going on in our lives, but we don't yet know Jesus. We're not alive. And you have to make sure that you're alive. Look at First John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. He who has the Son of, of God, Jesus, in his life, uh, has life. But he or she who does not have the Son of God in their life does not have life at all. You're, you're the walking dead. It's not about having religion in your life. It's about having Jesus in your life. And then he says, I write these things to you who have put your faith 
in Jesus, in the name of the Son of God, so that you can know that you have life. You have eternal life. And so I just really encourage you, make sure you're alive spiritually. Make sure that you know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, I just really want to encourage you. Get to know him. Get to know him. And then for those of you who do know Jesus, I really encourage you to to start saying, I'm committed to moving forward, movement is life, and start setting goals and establishing plans and putting it into your schedule and then submitting every day those things to, to him. But, but make sure you always review and rearrange your plans and goals and schedule because life changes and you don't want to be in a box. I have found that God moves. Doesn't change, but he moves And I have been so locked into certain schedules that I stay in my box that God is nowhere present there. And so I have to rearrange and review and all that stuff. And I really encourage you to stay active in your relationship with God. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to end in worship. But I really want to encourage you to spend time focusing. Are you alive spiritually? Do you have goals? Are you moving in the right direction? And, and I really want to encourage you. We have a prayer team at Northridge Church. And, and I want to encourage you that if you'd like to talk to someone more about knowing Jesus or the things I've talked about and trusting him, finding life in him, forgiveness in him, or if you'd like someone just to pray with you, we have a prayer team. And what you do is when we're done worshiping and when everyone's leaving, all you do is just come forward. There's no one watching you. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. You just kind of come and sit in the front sides of our front seats of our auditorium. And someone from our prayer team will come and spend time with you and answer questions. And if you don't know Jesus, please come. Because knowing him is what really, really, really changes your life. Let's pray, and then we'll worship. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that we can be alive spiritually. We can know you. We can survive in this dark and and dangerous world when we walk with you. And I just pray for each one here, that each one here will walk with you, will love you, will follow you. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the best ways we can help you move forward is by giving you an environment where you can just focus entirely on God. And so that's what this time of worship's meant for. Thanks for coming, and we'll see you next time.